Due to harsh language and violent content, listener discretion is advised. The podcast which you are about to hear is an account of the horror suffered by a group of three adults, Stuart, Arnie, and Brock. Though they had experienced horror before, had they lived very, very long lives they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and the macabre as they were to see with this retrospective series. For them, a movie review podcast became a six-piece symphony of terror. The events of this viewing were to lead to one of the most bizarre podcasts in the annals of Internet history. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Retrospective Series. Today we're discussing Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, starring Kate Hodge, Viggo Mortensen, yes, I said Viggo Mortensen, <laughs> William Butler, Ken Foray, Joe Unger, and Tom Everett, directed by Jeff Burr. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. This is Frowny Face in LA. <laughs> and this is The Return of the Armadillo Brock. I love that they put an armadillo in the beginning of this movie. It gave me hope when this movie started that they're going back on a right track. I have a funny story before we start on this movie. I thought when we did our very first podcast for the series, I said there were some that I'd never seen any of. It turns out I'd seen part of this movie and had no idea what I was watching. Really? I saw the scene at the gas station where the guy was peeping into the window and Viggo Mortensen gets shot. And I was in a hotel room. So there was no info button for me to hit to know what I was watching. All I knew was I was watching some Viggo Mortensen movie and he was getting shot and there was a creepy perv in a gas station. I kind of thought it was like a road crime movie like that. Oh, what's the name of that? Breakdown. Breakdown. Exactly. Like those movies. And then we had to go because we were on a trip and we couldn't stick around to watch the rest of this movie. And I'd always wondered what happened to Viggo Mortensen at that gas station. And now I know. (laughs) (laughs) Not much. (laughs) This was not the road crime movie that I had expected it to be from catching that scene. But I do remember this movie coming out in 1990. And I had seen Tex Chainsaw in 87, didn't really care for it. But the trailer for this one gave me hope. It gave you hope? Yeah. When I was 15 years old, I thought this movie would rock because I was big into Freddy and they were big on Leatherface from the people who brought you a Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'd gotten into Jason by this point and I see Leatherface retrieving the chainsaw from the lake and it kind of reminded me of shocker and then the chainsaw gets struck by lightning which reminded me of jason lives and i'm like oh yes leatherface is a zombie now it could also remind you of ernest goes to jail when he got (laughs) electrified from the electric chair um or (laughs) depending on your point of reference i think it's actually supposed to reference camelot people with sir lancelot getting excalibur from the lake right (laughs) like we got that right Well, yes, obviously that was Excalibur. Okay. I just want to make sure people got the correct reference before we talked and compared it to Scooby-Doo or Snorks or something. (laughs) But 
Excalibur didn't get struck by lightning, did it? Uh, it did not. No. Okay, because he's not He Man, right? King Arthur doesn't scream, "I have the power." And the lady in the lake's hand was not rotten, like like it was almost like it looked like it was a new Friday the Thirteenth movie. I mean, you see it, a man standing by a lake, and you think Crystal Lake, and you think that's this is going to be Jason, but lo and behold, it's not a machete that comes out of there; it's the chainsaw. Wait a second, that preview just that didn't really lead on. It was a horror trailer until at least halfway through if not longer it was trying longer. to going for like a, you know a longer kind of like maybe it's a drama maybe it's somewhere in time too or something mm-hmm. like that it gave you no indication that it was a horror movie and then the surprise of it being the ending so yeah if i was in the theater watching that i'd be like they got me but you know i've seen a lot of other trailers like that so it, I, I think it's it. telling that they have a trailer that shows absolutely no footage from the actual movie and that's usually a telltale sign that when you actually see that footage, you're in trouble. Well, I desperately wanted to see this movie in theaters. However, for some reason, my theater played the unrated version. And even with parents with me, no one under 17 was let in. Wow. So I was not able to add my 325, which is what a movie cost back then, kids, to its opening gross of $2 million. Let me ask you something real quick and maybe slightly off subject. You went with your dad to see this movie and they turned you away? Like who, what parental figure were you even trying to con into seeing Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 with? Like how do you spin that one? Like that's not going to be (laughs) something they won't tolerate. My parents would take me to see anything, buy a ticket, and then walk out the back door. However, Ah. this one I didn't even try because it said in big letters in the newspaper and at the theater, no one under 18 permitted under any circumstances. Mm -hmm. Which also equals no one's buying a ticket to this because it's made strictly for young people who like wrestling. You know, I only reason I know Leatherface's name as Leatherface is because of the title of this movie when I was younger. Everyone knows Freddy and Jason and things like that, but I was not exposed to Texas Chainsaw Massacre because those weren't as prevalent at the time. No, Uh, no, he's an older generation. He's grandpa. And Freddy and Jason are the offspring. So, yeah, no doubt about it. This guy did not have the clout, even though he was the pioneer. It's like, you know, all the black artists who had recorded music and then Elvis comes along and makes it all famous. Like, he's trolling in obscurity when he was the one with the original magic. So I guess this, by putting his name front and center and by New Line buying the property and distributing it, this was the attempt to try and make Leatherface on equal to Michael and Jason and Freddy. I guess we can talk about how successful that works, but maybe first a plot summary? That sounds good. Why don't you do one for us? (laughs) You Did I draw the short straw? Really? You watch that empty farmhouse, man, right there. Screen doors open. Walk right in. All right. Picking up long after the events of the original, and if I'm correct in saying, completely ignoring the last sequel, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, states in an opening scroll that poor Sally never regained her sanity and died in a psych ward, but that someone named Sawyer was convicted for butchering her brother and countless others and got the electric chair. And in case you're stupid enough to believe that the title character is dead and not going to be in the movie, we immediately then watch Leatherface club some blonde named Gina to death and stitch her flesh into facial fashion. Then it's a long, long, dull stretch of road with Michelle and Ryan, a very (laughs) unhappy Los Angeles couple breaking up while driving to Florida. They take in all the usual sights one expects to see in a low-budget horror movie, the dead armadillo, as Brock 
like to point out the mass grave, the peeping Tom gas station attendant with the shotgun, the mysterious hitchhiker who gives faulty directions, the hook-handed truck driver who tosses a dead coyote on the windshield before finally, finally meeting the masked maniac with a chainsaw during the requisite changing of the flat tire. Then it's off through the woods and swamps to Hillbilly Homestead, where Mama, Grandpa, and the little girl with a knife in the doll, along with everybody else, nails Michelle to a chair and forces her to watch her bow get strung up, slid open, bled, and eaten. Also running around in the dark is this ex-military trucker named Benny, as well as Sarah, who was friends with Gina, the girl killed in the opening, and who herself gets killed almost as soon as she explains that the Texas family hunts hapless tourists for sport. Well, Benny comes to Michelle's rescue in a blaze of gunfire, and the two spend the rest of the night killing cannibals and running around in the dark before finally morning comes, and they drive away with Leatherface getting the last dance and cranking out his pimped out golden engraved chainsaw to chase them as credits roll that about sum it up somewhat we'll go into a bit more detail as we go i did want to go into one thing here you say it completely disregards part two obviously you missed the cameo of the part two actress stretch in this film i did too where was she when they're at the mass grave there is a tv reporter there and it happens to be stretch who's by the way her last name was brock no kidding. Yeah, Stretch Brock. We're related. You need to talk to her. So I call her, see if she's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Stretch was there covering the mass grave. And the way the director talked about it on the commentary is he envisioned that Stretch had basically picked up where Dennis Hopper left off in chasing down this crazy family. And she was using the media to do it. She'd graduated from radio to television. Cute. I like that. I like that character in the last one, but that's just a winking aside. The reason why I would say it ignored part two, because nothing in the scroll otherwise, and certainly the characters that we see seen connected with the family members we met in part two. Yes. And in fact, it kind of pisses me off because I was thinking about this after we recorded part two. At the beginning of part one, John Larroquette clearly says that these events led to the discovery of the most gruesome murder ever found. And then at part two and part three, they're like, no evidence was ever found. Yeah. So how, how did it exactly lead to the discovery? It led to a rumor? It led to hearsay? I got nothing. Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> but I, I agree that the, the scroll negates the second movie because Sawyer, though, is the name of the father, I believe, who won the chili contest in the last movie. Mm-hmm. For, they were named Sawyers in the second movie. In the first right. movie, as far as I ever heard, there was no known identity for the cannibal family. So later on in the movie, when we see Leatherface with this other family, did he, Leatherface go to live with, you know, cousins? It's, is this it's an like extended family? It's foster family. And if that is true, doesn't that already make you want to hit the brakes? Like, isn't that really <laughs> terrible? I can't accept that there's ants that he rarely sees that adopted him after he had to flee from the first ones. Who have the same penchant for killing people, who have the same background of being ex-meat slaughterer people, who is he's like Cousin Oliver, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Idea, but it just seems that completely odd to me that Leatherface seems to be the same character, regressing a little bit to his first movie, as opposed to the second movie, Leatherface, but it's a whole different family. Well, I can kind of explain this, too, from, again, the director's commentary, not the movie itself. Excellent. It's that these kind of crazies just kind of drifted together and formed a surrogate family. 
Okay, like a Manson family then, which is sort of the idea that they were playing off in the first one, though they are clearly biological and that Slaughter was in the family. All right, before we get to the family, we have Michelle and Ryan that are on this cross-country trip, and are we all on the same page that these two are just horrible? Yeah, you know what the guy reminded me of? This is going to be maybe an obscure reference for both of you. This guy reminded me of those commercials for Encyclopedia Britannica back in the 80s when that kid was talking to the voiceover guy about, hey, don't pressure him to buy in the the books if they want to buy the books they'll call the number they see the number on the screen this is the guy just like a couple years older he looks like the power rangers guy but he is as annoying as the britannica guy and i couldn't get those two characters out of my head because this actor wasn't doing anything for me (laughs) to to make those other two images get out of my head when he was on the screen brock do you want to know something funny what's that he was on power rangers and has directed many of the episodes you're kidding no, that's that's <laughs> where he comes from. And like everyone here, with the exception of Vigo, they sort of have all existed in a netherworld where you make sequels to Critters, like Critters 4. <laughs> and uh, he's the director of the Ginger Dead Man, a series I've never heard of. And I can promise you, I will never record for now playing. <laughs> but Ginger Dead Man 2 is called The Passion of the Crust. How can you resist it? Watch me. Oh, Watch yeah. me do it with with. Uh, <laughs> Easy and great. But, yes, Brock, I, I, I do agree with you. There's something kind of smarmy, and he is like a child actor in L.A. that's gone bad, and maybe that's why they're leaving L.A. Part of what's irritating about this couple is whenever you introduce characters that are not getting along, we need to know the backstory. We need to know why, and there is no why given. All that we know is she's going to London, he's going to New York, they both are leaving L.A., but she thought it would be fun to drive her car to Florida to her dad with this guy she's breaking up with i don't know why anyone would think that that would be fun like if you're starting a new life you're not trying to like let's have a road trip before we do that i'm happily married i just did 34 hours in a car with my wife we almost weren't happily married so (laughs) when you're with somebody you really love and get along with that's hard if you're already not getting along that's homicide (laughs) how ironic so i actually did look up the woman and after this she worked a ton through the 90s on series TV doing you know one or two or even sometimes five episodes of series. You name the series, she was on it. Jag, Law and Order, a whole bunch of them. So she worked consistently after this, which I was impressed by. I thought she would go into obscurity, not because of any other reason that I had I never heard of her. Brock, she did go into obscurity. <laughs> Just because she had some guest spots on a TV series does not make her not obscure. Yeah, well, let's make one point clear. She was never famous. Yes, <laughs> yes, but she was not the person who became famous, but she still was a working actress. And they all are. That's my point here, is that everybody here has done a lot and continues to do a lot, most of them in the horror genre. And I would argue that's why this movie even feels the way that it does. It's because it's people that are like, which one is this one? Are we doing Ginger Dead Man? Or Critters? <laughs> oh, it's Leatherface. Leather- Put on the Leatherface and we'll, we'll, we'll shoot it. Like, they just, there's nothing special about this movie to them. They're not trying. They know next week it's going to be Pumpkinhead 2. That is one of the credits of this director's resume is Pumpkinhead 2 Bloodwing. 
things. It's just another job, and this is hack work. Real, the direction with a chainsaw. One day sure. we have to talk about Pumpkinhead because I got a lot to say about Bloodwing. But <laughs> the the one reason why all of these actors are so familiar is because this is the one Texas Chainsaw Massacre that wasn't filmed in Texas. It was filmed in L.A. And we talked about this mm. with Rob Zombie's Halloween, the first one. Everybody was somebody. It was filmed in L.A. The second one, nobody was anybody. It was filmed in Georgia. So when you're filming mm-hmm. in Texas, you get the Texas local yokels who then go back to their job at Mellow Cream or Krispy Kreme or wherever the donut place of choice in Dallas is. But you go to L.A. and everybody's a working actor, even if they're a waitress. And you can tell that because, Arnie, you said you've been on road trips in Texas. At Brock, I don't know if you've spent any time there. I have done this. I have driven through Texas. And it is true. You can go 60, 100 miles and not see anything in between. And that part they got right. Like, I believed it when they were on the road. But once they break down and they're running, suddenly they're in a swamp. There's (laughs) trees everywhere. In Texas? On the road? On that highway? No. No, that is uh, L.A. In fact, I did look that up. You're right. It's actually right behind Magic Mountain Six Flags here. That's where they shot this. The director said that if you use the 6.1 audio and turn it up during some of the scenes, you can actually hear people screaming on the roller coaster in this movie. Because it is that close to Magic Mountain. Yeah. The whole idea of a bayou, forest, hillbilly, whatever, just totally stuck out to me in this movie. The second half of the movie, the location, I I agree. I felt like for sure that I was not in Texas anymore. And especially after how the last one made such a big deal about Texas and Dallas and Texans. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I love a sense of place, particularly in a horror movie. It can make all the difference. When you're doing a formula story, the only way to make it unique and special is to make you feel like you're really there. And this movie is generic. In fact, though, our characters are heroes. These two are Californians in Texas. So it's basically demonizing Texans as all the Texans we meet are pretty much cannibalistic criminal well it does reflect a sort of west coast snobbery about what people from the south are like maybe that's always present but at least toby hooper was a texan and he could make the satire about his own people the jokes didn't feel condescending here it definitely feels condescending did you guys get the feeling right away as soon as we got to the gas station as soon as we saw the hitchhiker and all that kind of stuff that this one's going to rehash a lot of the first movie's plot points and, and scenes because I got it right away. And although it, it didn't feel exactly that way throughout the whole movie, a lot of reminiscent things from the first movie came creeping back into here to the point where it felt uncomfortably familiar to me. Did you have the same experience? Yes, to the point you wondered why they even bothered to shoot this. Did they write a new script? Because it more or less is so close and replication of the plot points, not in the quality or the style, but in the plot points, yeah. you really feel like, is this a remake? I mean, I could even argue, is this just a redo? Because they're short to protagonists in a vehicle, but otherwise, this is pretty much the same movie. I don't know. It's got some similar points, but isn't that kind of the point of a sequel is to do what's been done before so it's familiar but make it bigger and keep in mind we have a disadvantage we're sitting here watching these all within a week or even a few days of each other whereas it's been 16 years between the original's limited release and the release of part three so 
I didn't mind it so much. I considered it more of a callback than a aping. Okay. I agree with everything that you said, but you kind of undersold something there, which is that you got to do something bigger. Can you tell me anything that they did here that was more grandiose? The second one was more grandiose. The, their lair wasn't just a house. It was an underground carnival. Here, yeah. tell me the novelty. Tell me the spin. Because I'll, I'm going to go ahead and just say this now. We have reviewed a lot of horror series. We have covered oodles, dozens and dozens of umpteenth iterations of a slasher movie. And I gotta say, this may be the most generic and boring one I've ever sat through. I couldn't think of one. I'm like, even Halloween 4 had Danielle Harris and I liked her. Even Friday the 13th Part 3 was in 3D. There's always at least something that I could point to that gave it novelty, that gave it something to impress me. And this movie feels like I almost didn't watch it. Like, it's this piece of roadkill that I just sped by at 90 miles an hour. Well, I first of all, uh, the writer has a comment for us on the director's commentary or the filmmaker's commentary. He says that... To me personally? To us, and I believe it is personally. <laughs> he says, to the people okay. who nitpick and bitch that sequels aren't as good as the original, don't understand what sequels are, and usually these nitpickers are some guy in Iowa who reads Entertainment Weekly and thinks he's a fucking director. Uh, technically, two of us mm -hmm. are in Illinois, not Iowa. Mm -hmm. I, I, he could hate me. I accept that. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> well, that's, that's just the way it is. If he needs right. to say that I, I, to make I, himself feel better about defending his movie, that's his prerogative. But, I mean, I'm not going to mm -hmm. go up to L.A. and argue yeah. with him face-to-face -face over this. I don't need to. The other thing is, the one thing this movie gave me that I hold up as bigger and better, and the best in the series so far, it gives the single best performance in the series through Vigo Morton. Now, I want to go on the record. I am not a Vigo fan. I don't like Lord of the Rings, Aragon, whatever. I did like him in the two Cronenberg films, though, and I think he is standout here in the role of Tex. I thought he was the best thing about this movie, but being the best thing about a bad movie is like being the nicest house on a bad block, you know? It's unfortunate that he, with all the talent and at least the consistency he brought to his character, uh, was stuck in such a lousy movie. But he did provide some uh, stability in this movie, and he wasn't painful to watch. I go the other way. You say not painful. I say he was a delight to watch. I loved him on the screen. When we first are introduced to him, did either of you fall for his good guy routine? I figured he was evil at that moment. Yeah. I didn't buy it at all. I mean, we see that too often. We saw it in the first one with the cook. I knew it because of the the movie following the structure so closely of hitchhikers and characters who seemingly are benevolent or non-threatening and then will turn out to be the worst rube of all. Since no, but you're right. If this were the first one I was watching, I would actually think that he was going to be the hero and come back and save them. And he was there going up against Alfredo, who he was the one I wasn't sure about. I couldn't tell if Alfredo was a part of the family or if he was going to piss off Tex, who I was sure was part of the family. Are you serious? I mean, they telegraph that. The first time you see him, he is cutting up women in a nudie magazine. Like, that couldn't be more evident that he is part of, has this fetish to do to what Leatherface likes to do. I just didn't catch it because he was fighting Tex and shooting at Tex. So that was what threw me off on that one. So well, That was confusing. I had no idea what that meant. I was left questioning, but more about how much more was in the running time than what was going to happen. I liked how Alfredo did the callback to the first movie, too, by taking the picture, trying to sell the picture. You like that? 
Yeah, I, I like callbacks like that. I thought it was a nice little reference. It was subtle. Okay. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't too subtle to me that told me no, that. Not at all. No, yeah. It both, told both... me they were doing the whole thing again. Yeah, same thing with the Vigo character being a hitchhiker and the whole thing. And, and then as soon as he gave him directions, I'm like, those are bad directions. I mean, I, I saw through everything this movie was giving me because it was so obviously aping the first movie. Now, again, your point about we have watched these very close together could be helping you in that sense. But regardless, these are all available on DVD now. So a lot of people will be doing this. So yeah. it's a little obvious. But sure. I'm, you know what? Again, I'm glad to hear you're enjoying some of this, which is nice to hear. I'm surprised, <laughs> but I'm happy to hear it. No, I was, especially at that gas station scene, I was having a good time. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I was just having fun. I didn't think the movie was very good, but I was enjoying it for the trash it was on screen. And I really thought Vigo in the role of Tex, you know, what a great original name for a Texan, Tex. I thought that he had the accent. And what was great is even all these many years ago, he really had a presence that captured on screen. Mm-hmm. He's great. And I've never seen him give a bad performance. Yeah, yeah. High marks, particularly the movies he made with Cronenberg. And yeah, he's great. It's like we saw Johnny Depp in the early days and we saw Kevin Bacon in the early days and they both grew as actors. But here, Vigo already had it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. your eyes are on him. He's helped immeasurably by the fact that everyone else around him is dull. But yes, even if he were surrounded by a great cast, you would look at him because he has got star power. I understand that both of you are coming down. I think you've both telegraphed not recommending on this movie. But I gotta say that when Vigo was on screen, I was having a good time. And when he wasn't on screen, I wished he was. I will give props to one other actor. I sort of, as many props as I have, which I think the bag is empty. But um, <laughs> I will give Ken Foree, who plays Benny, a little bit of props. He's kind of fun. He's a character actor, done tons of horror movies. I think he even had a part in Devil's Rejects. And Halloween. He played the trucker who Mike Myers. I thought that was oh. him. Oh, yeah. He's kind of a fun presence. He's a big guy. He's got a good face. And he doesn't really do anything that I like. I never laughed at him. I felt like he was really hamstrung with the stockest of parts. But just as a screen persona, he's got stuff, too. I'm glad that he was able to emerge out of this cesspool. Stuart, you know what he had in this movie? He had survival power. The guy yeah. could never stay down. And, yeah, and, yeah. and every time he popped back up, I didn't mind. You know, yeah. he got hit and he fell, like, even at the end with the big hammer. And he got back up again. I'm like, this guy takes a licking, keeps on ticking, and is so tenacious. For me, he was my favorite character in the whole movie. They should have killed Michelle, and it should have been him and Leatherface at the end. There should have only been one survivor, but they shouldn't have gone the cliched, it's a girl route. It should have been him. He is great. The thing is, he's doing what I've always seen him do. Now, I've only seen him, I think the role he's most known for is the original Dawn of the Dead. Oh, no way. Really? That's him? Yeah. Oh, I liked him in that, too. Oh, good for him. And then I know him from the Rob Zombie stuff. So seeing him here, it was nice to see an actor I'm familiar with in a horror role. It's kind of like, you know, an old friend. Mm -hmm. But I thought he was good here. And I liked that he did have that survival. I mean, there's several times here where he goes toe to toe with Leatherface. And they got a big guy for Leatherface this time. Leatherface is leaner and maybe a little meaner. 
leaner. Yeah, he used to be kind of. I think your scale is broken, Arnie. He he got on the like stairmaster between the very first one and this one because this guy's more of a pro wrestler looking one, whereas the first Leatherface was just kind of fat. This guy may be more muscular, but I still mm. thought he was pretty big. I didn't think he was lean at all. I thought he was a pretty big, hefty guy. I don't mean lean as in thin. I mean lean as in muscular, no fat, whereas the first Leatherface was pretty obese. I would not argue that any of the actors that have played the character have not had a large mass of body fat, and this one included. <laughs> I, do, I did not feel like he was any more imposing than the original Leatherface. Gunner Hans. The movie's called Leatherface, and we talked about earlier about maybe why. But call me crazy, but with the movie called Leatherface, we didn't really see a hell of a lot of Leatherface or Leatherface taking lead or anything like that. He was pretty much backseat again to the family, especially Vigo and the other guy. Now, Leatherface made a few appearances scaring the girl, waving his chainsaw around and not really doing a lot of damage at all with the chainsaw, except I believe on his own door, right? For a movie called Leatherface, where the hell was Leatherface? Well, let's keep in mind, the original film, as shot, was called Leatherface, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a title that they came up with in post. They were Uh, correct to do that, I would like to say, because it wasn't the Leatherface show. However, if you're going to release a movie called Leatherface, and more importantly, if you killed off all of his family, and that the thing that's in vogue is the single masked killer, they risked a huge opportunity to raise his stature and give him a Freddy Michael Jason role. And he is a cameo. It takes forever for him to return to this movie. I'm convinced that's why they kill that girl at the beginning. Because it's like, we got 35 minutes before he's coming back. And there are four other crazies with more charisma than him on screen. Yeah, and not only that, the girl who he kills in the beginning escapes the house. So not only did he get to kill her too late, he's ineffectual. The whole family's ineffectual. She gets away. And the girl at the end of this movie gets away. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The girl at the beginning got away because he was killing her friend and sewing her face into the new face he'd wear that whole movie. So it's not like everybody got away. He killed one and the other. You know, Leatherface doesn't have the greatest of attention spans. (laughs) Clearly. And I felt that instead of remaking the first movie, essentially, or being very close to the first movie, which I said before, it would have been nice to have a little bit more of Leatherface taking center stage in a movie called Leatherface. It would have been nice and something different for this series and maybe would have kept my attention a little bit more than what I got when I was watching this. I have a Leatherface question for you too. Do you think the brace that Leatherface is wearing is uh, saying that he screwed his leg up when the chainsaw hit it? Because he's got this leg brace. Yes. That's another reason why I think they're totally ignoring too. They know part two is unpopular. The campiness didn't play well and they were really trying to butch up Leatherface and make him a tough guy again and they wanted to just have you forget about part two and the brace was a great way of reminding you that at the end of part one he slipped and fell and the chainsaw got his knee it also helped when he was chasing them to hear the noise it was kind of a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of nice. It was more subtle than just a chainsaw. Now, did I get this right? When Leatherface is fighting Ken Foray and he doesn't have the chainsaw, does he reach into his pocket and pull out a Dremel and dig a Dremel into Ken Foray's leg? I don't know what a Dremel is. It's a very small tool with a rotary cutter. Okay. I don't remember. Honestly, I, I don't remember. I, I don't. It was very dark, and I couldn't really see what was going on. <laughs> and you'd always use Dremels in proper lighting. It's very important. Yeah. 
And I, aren't I, those aren't those electrically plugged in though? Are they have battery operated Dremels? I thought they were. I think there's rechargeable. I didn't know that. Hey, Leatherface has the tools here. He's got a little computer. Leatherface is coming into the 21st century. The little computer scene was interesting to me because when he was typing in and he saw the picture of the clown, he kept on getting it wrong because he typed in food. And I said to myself, this is the kind of comedy this movie's doing. And they kept on doing the joke over and over again. Like, he couldn't understand what he was doing, and that was supposed to be the joke. I thought the joke, if they did it once and cut away, might have been a, a mild smile. They killed the joke. But then again, it was kind of more of a throwback to the Leatherface we saw in the first movie as opposed to the Leatherface we saw in the second movie about the kind of character, quote-unquote, that Leatherface was with the whimpering and the actually ultimately yeah. a scaredy-cat kind of thing. You're leading into something that I feel like I can comfortably say now and, and had been thinking and implying for a while, and that is Leatherface is very different from all the other slasher killers. And and maybe the reason why he could never reach the stature of a Freddy or a Michael or a Jason is I don't believe he likes to kill. I don't think that he's ever demonstrated that he takes any joy out of it. He likes to eat and he likes to feed his family. And he doesn't go out on the hunt to get people. He pretty much stays in the kitchen and prepares the food. And that's his M.O. So he doesn't have the bloodthirstiness. He's not plotting on how to get teenagers or teenage women, excluding two with his whole obsession with Stretch, I don't even see that he thinks of them as human. They are food to him. He has the same passion chasing after a, a girl in a bra as he does a chicken running around a farm. It's impersonal to him. And really all he's trying to do is feed himself and other people. And I just don't think Leatherface has got the moxie, really, to be a serial killer. I agree. I agree completely. Now, there's a couple of things here. First of all, in addition to not having the motivation, he's also a freaky cross-dresser. You know, I think that that turns off a lot of the horror fans. They get uncomfortable around that kind of thing. You know, in the very first movie, he's wearing a dress and putting on makeup. But that was a very small part of it. And that was something I, you know, we'll talk about later versions of him. I felt like that was a throwaway bit at the end that really gave the impression that he was the mom in that family. He was the one in the kitchen. The lipstick didn't come until really that ending freaky scene. But they could have made him bloodthirsty. I mean, every new movie's a chance for reinvention. And as you said, when Freddy and Jason are ruling the box office, Freddy is bringing home the paychecks for New Line and New Line's putting out this movie. They could have taken this chance to put Leatherface on his own and make him the soul killer and make him the star. You know, that was what this should have been. Their family exactly. was dead. He's on his own. He's got to get everything himself. There's no one to prepare the food for. He's got to do it all himself. He's got to hunt for himself. He can't play the mom role. It is time to kill and with vengeance. And it was time to do that movie. And I think that was what they were wanting to. They butchered him up. This is the most fierce he has ever been. This is the least feminine he has ever been. But he still looked like to me, like Michael Jackson in The Wiz. I don't know. I just, in the end, he just didn't feel like that threatening. And, and really, this was all about food preparation. It was yeah, not about killing. I agree. This was the best time to do it. And for me, watching this movie, waiting for that to happen, and then realizing halfway through it wasn't going to be that movie was very disappointing. It kind of put a taint for me over the whole movie. I don't need another slasher movie in my life, but it seemed to me that they missed a massive opportunity. And it's just a shame because the rest of it, what we got, was not worth it. But would that have alienated what fans they had? Because one thing that I'm loving about watching this series is the variety that the 
crazed family offers. I liked that in the first one and I liked it in the second one. I'm still liking it here. The variety and kind of the family dynamic. Stuart, you referred to it as all in the family. I'm kind of enjoying that and I'm enjoying it more as the series goes on versus just what would have ended up being a complete Jason or Michael copycat because Leatherface doesn't talk. Instead, we get this family. I like it. It's original to the series. I can't think of another series that has done this. The Addams Family, but obviously that's a comedy. But yes, that's pretty much it. And I'm convinced the Addams Family is the reason why there's this little girl with a knife and a doll, too. Was it Addams Family or was it Munsters who had the normal-looking daughter? I thought it was the Munsters that the had... The Munsters had a normal-looking daughter. Yeah, so that's what I took that little girl from. But Wednesday Addams is what I think Stuart's referring to, is that she looks one way and then she's morose and, and, and macabre. And that's what Wednesday Addams is. She looks like a normal girl enough. Whereas the Munsters, the girl look like a regular girl and look like, literally look like monsters. So I think she's more Wednesday than the other girl, but I see your both your points, but the oh, I, I'm not going to debate you, Munsters versus Adams family. Yeah. We're saying the same thing. Here. <laughs> yeah, I, I but, think it's coming from the same source, but you're probably right. It's probably more Munsters than Adams family. Since we brought up the daughter, here's something, Stuart. You said you think Leatherface only thinks of people as like chicken. Yes. Well, there's a dropped line in the movie that I missed until again I was listening to the director's commentary. Leatherface is that little girl's father because he kidnaps girls, rapes them. Keeps them hostage until they give birth, and then they eat the mother. Oh, come on. That's not in and, the movie, is it? Well, there's a line in the movie that where apparently the mother who's in the wheelchair yeah. talks about Leatherface and says he makes the most beautiful babies. And that's supposed to tell us all we need to know there. Uh, couldn't they that failed. just mean he puts him in the oven? I mean, I would <laughs> never I would never fill in the details based on that. And not, you know, she also had like one of those electronic voice boxes you get when you smoke too much. I couldn't understand half of what she said. I love the fact that they did that. I like that how each of the family has its own level of being fucked up. You know, they're all this white trash, fucked up. And so they had to come up with something to do. They came up with the voice box. It sounds to me like you're liking that more now than you did in the original movie. Because they're taking it to a more comedic extreme. Ah. In the first one, we talked about you saw comedy where Brock and I didn't. I'm now seeing the comedy very clearly in these that I thought the first one was just too horrific and too uncomfortable raw yeah raw to have humor in here when it's glossy i'm finding a lot more to laugh at and enjoying it a lot more okay well i I guess i can understand that but to me my preference is very much the original family i don't like this family and other than vigo i don't think any of them captivate my attention at all there feels like there's too many of them for one thing agree yes yes exactly Uh, you don't need the hook-handed guy and vigo and leatherface no i mean that's just too many and Alfredo. And Alfredo. I forgot about Alfredo. God, there's t- at least one too many. There's probably two too many. It's <laughs> Really, there are. Alfredo and Fixer should have been merged into one character and possibly even with Tex. But I could understand wanting the two brothers to kind of have the sibling rivalry thing go on. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought this up about the little girl because it was bothering me. Like, where did she come from? Like, who screwed Mama if she's the sister? Because, uh, yes, when you look this movie up in Wiki, this girl is only referred to 
to as Tex's sister. When you look her up in IMDb, it's referred to as Leatherface's daughter. And I'm like, where did they get that from? Well, uh, you know what? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time debating about whether Leatherface does this or not. It's not on the screen, thankfully. Right. And <laughs> exactly. it really doesn't matter. But I did find it kind of annoying that there was no obvious place where this girl could have come from. I thought, like you said, she was a runaway with the psychopathic bent. And so she fit in here, but that she wasn't literally biologically related to any of them. That's what I would hope anyway. I thought she was there strictly for the shock value of the surprise, just like Vigo's surprise that he's actually evil with the family, quote unquote surprise there. I didn't get the whole thing with the daughter either. And I didn't care that she was there at that point when she showed up. I I saw it coming a mile away that she was going to stab the girl in the leg or whatever. I saw it coming a mile away. Based on the movie they've shown you for the first 20 minutes, you could tell everything else is going to happen. The girl wanted to be smart about the routine. She would pretend to be a captive there and gain the girl's trust and then pull the knife at the appropriate moment. That would have been the way to play that scene is we could believe that, yes, she this girl was tied up and she was going to be their next meal. And Michelle runs in to save her. And lo and behold, it was all just a, that might have gotten me. But as it is to see that this wholesome, you know, her hair done up blonde girl. It, it, no, come on. We know she's the bad seed. It's just not a shock. And they try to trick us with it twice because later when they're about to kill the other girl, she comes in and goes, oh, no, not again. And you're supposed to think she's saying you're not killing people again. But in fact, it's she was being left out of the fun. Right. Yeah. She right. wanted to pull the lever. But one thing about the little girl that did strike me, I'm like, I feel like I've seen her before. We have. She was little Tina in Friday the 13th 7. She was the young psychic who killed her dad on the dot. Really? She was that? Because the boyfriend, Ryan, was in part seven as well as Michael. I know. That's what I'm saying. All these people know each other and been working with each other. Like, we'll see you next week on Trimmers 9. You get the <laughs> sense that these are people that are tight, that have fun, that work well together, that put out releasable product in a low budget, short amount of time. And that's all good from a logistical standpoint. But nobody here gives a fuck about telling a good Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. It just doesn't matter to them. They don't even care about the property. It's just another job. And that comes through loud and clear in this movie. It is impersonal. It is not that it is bad or even the worst horror movie we have reviewed. It is the most generic. It couldn't be more dull and uninspired. It could be if Vigo wasn't in it. Fair enough. Hey, okay. I, I'll right. give you that. If okay. Without him in it, I really wonder if I could have finished the film. But I wouldn't say that he saved it. I agree with Stuart on that. I think he was the best thing or one of the best things in the movie, although I thought Benny was the best thing in the movie. But neither one of those characters or actors or performances saved the movie for me. Because mm -hmm. halfway through this movie, I sat there thinking to myself, there is nothing enjoyable about watching this movie. And yeah, I'm going to finish the movie because we're reviewing it for now playing. But if I was watching this on my own, I might make a different choice. Yeah, it doesn't even have a very high body count, really. Long stretches go where nobody's dying. And it, not that I'm a personally a gorehound, but we know that with Jason and Freddy both, as the sequels went on, the body counts got bigger and the deaths got more inventive. Here... Yeah, they make a big deal about giving him this gold-plated, engraved, saw is family, mega chainsaw... I mean, that should have been slashing right and left, right? Like, that should have been used to the finest. Did we ever get a good shot of it in action? No. 
No. And he could have, and how cool would it have been like a Ginsu chainsaw, cut through cars and like do a super chainsaw stuff? Absolutely. That is exactly, if you're going to turn him into a Freddy or a Jason, we need to now feel that his power is supernatural and that the saw really takes him to a place that nobody else with a chainsaw, even Dennis Hopper with his crazy uh, arsenal, could not take <laughs> on this mega saw. Agreed. Completely agree. This movie is so weirdly edited, and I know the stuff that I watched, the documentary that came with the original Texas Chainsaw, they covered all the first four, and the director was pretty clear that this movie was edited beyond comprehension. He was pretty mad about the way things got rearranged. But it's not really clear to me, like, characters appear to be killed, and then they come back. Like, I think the boyfriend dies three times. He's killed outside by Leatherface in the chainsaw with his foot in the trap, and then they string him up. And he's still alive, I think, right? Like, he's alive when he's there, right? Or otherwise, why would she insist on being the one to kill him with the mallet? Right, but they thought he was dead. And then Vigo has that line about, if you need anything, just twitch. Yeah, and then, like, even after they bashed him, he was still alive, right? No, no, that was his end. That was the end of him. Okay, I didn't know when they gutted and bled and all that, whether that was more... It was pretty confusing to me, by the arrangement of the scenes, what was going on. I mean, like, the road trip, like, it would be day, it would be night, it would be day again, it would be night. Like, how long (laughs) did it take them to take this shortcut anyway to get to the hillbilly place. You'd have to think that they were driving from noonday sun until complete nightness. You're talking about five or six hours on the road and they never stopped again for gas or directions. Uh, You know, I'm not going to spend too much time debating logic, but these are the kinds of things I find really irritating. And this movie is just erratic. It just can't wait to cut to the next bloodletting, but it really is not trying to cut to tell you a story. Now, you talked about how this was really cut up. I watched the unrated version and then looked up the differences between rated and unrated and really the differences were primarily gore but a lot of it so i could see where things like deaths would be confusing did either of you watch the rated version no No. i didn't i watched the unrated version okay so we all saw the director's vision here Really? For the most part, yes. Wow. However, the director's vision was heavily compromised. If, if you listen to the commentary, he was fired and yes. puppeted by the people at New Line. and He was pretty explicit in the Texas Chainsaw documentary about, first of all, he was on a list and last on it with all the other directors they wanted. They wanted somebody big. Yeah, believe it or not, Peter Jackson, who obviously would go on to work with Vigo, was on their list. They really wanted him. He had done some low budget horror things in New Zealand, Australia, and they wanted him. And Tom Savini, the makeup artist, they wanted him, but he was off doing Night of the Living Dead. So it ended up falling on the guy whose only credit was Stepfather 2. <laughs> and huh. he didn't like the way he was treated on the set. They didn't really want him. They didn't really think he was up to it. And then when they took it to the MPAA, 1989-1990 was a horrible year to release a horror movie, as Nightmare on Elm Street 5 and Jason Takes Manhattan can attest because the MPA was getting a lot of pressure to cut down slasher movies that they knew that this was something that kids were consuming in mass and they really felt a moral obligation to protect the children to edit it really down to a PG 
rating of violence. And so that's kind of what happened. They would go out in R, but really they were cut down so much that they really felt like PG-13. And that's probably why this movie got so much of the violence stricken from it. But the funny thing was, watching the unrated, I still presumed that this was stuff was missing because it just feels... You know what I think you're thinking of is when they go to bash in the guy's head, the girl pulls the lever, mm-hmm. you don't get to see the head smashed. And the only mm-hmm. thing I can presume, and I actually saw some deleted scenes, it looked really terrible. They didn't even have the head explode. They just had a dummy strung up, and when the hammer hit it, the dummy swayed. You're exactly right. That did confuse me, and that's why I thought he was still alive, because they would cut to his face, and it, I'm like, do I see eye movement? Like, I, He doesn't look that damaged. They maybe didn't have the money to rig up the effect at all, or, or if they did rig it up, maybe it just looked really terrible, because in addition to everything else being wrong with this movie, they were really tied on those purse strings with him. Mm. So that could be why some other things, even in the unrated cut, feel missing, is they were never filmed because New Line didn't want to give them the money. So Benny comes in, Michelle rips her hands out of the nails, which usually gets a reaction from me, but her hands look too rubbery. (laughs) They jiggled and they came off the nails. And then she's running from Leatherface while Tex and Benny go at it. And I was really enjoying the Tex-Benny fight, except for the guitar rock score going on during it. And again, this is my second time this podcast referencing Shocker. It just reminded me of that era of horror movies where, like, the hair bands were scoring the horror films. Mm-hmm. It's the same audience. The people that are going to listen to hair metal are the same people that are going to plunk down money to see this. Sure. <laughs> that said, I wonder if they got any name brand hair metal because I, this did feel pretty generic. Admittedly, it's been a long time since I've listened to Poison, Wasp, Britney Fox, whatever. But there's definitely a difference. And uh, these feel like studio musicians that were asked to recreate hits, not bands that were actually making hits. I believe the song to which I refer is played by Death Angel. There you go. <laughs> Generic name for a hair metal band if I ever heard one. Well, Death Angels actually had songs in a couple other movies. It might have also been by a band called Wrath. So, yes, Ooh. it was not Warrant. Not no. Rat. Not Rat. No, Wrath. With a W. Like of Khan. Uh-uh. Never heard. And then Benny goes and saves Michelle from Leatherface, and they have the fight in the swamp, and Benny is killed. And we we get Michelle's character arc here. Did you guys get the character arc? Because at the beginning, with that the armadillo, armadillo. Yeah, she yeah, couldn't yeah, yeah. crush the yeah. head. And then now Leatherface, a human being, she's just smashing him again and again over the head with the rock. And I had no idea that was coming, really. I had no idea when she couldn't kill the armadillo with a rock that she would be forced to kill somebody with a rock at the end of the movie. Would have never guessed that. It was brilliant. I wasn't paying enough attention about the armadillo scene to piece it together. But it was going on forever. I'm like, just kill them. I wanted to take the rock out of her hand. I'm like, can we move on? This is a cliche. I have it's seen a, this a, many, many times. Even as movies as varied as... Santa Claus the movie, they do this kind of thing. They put something in the beginning that can't be done, and at the end of the movie, they have to do that one and only thing to finish the character arc. Young Sherlock Holmes, you name it, they do it. It's a generic movie cliche. I saw it coming a mile away. I don't mean to be so negative on this, but I, I did see I it. do. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, and, and what's to the point? It's not like now she's crazy. Normally, you know, with Sally or whatever, or even Stretch, it ends with them doing the dance or laughing covered in blood, and you think, okay, she's really gone to the dark side. We still get another scene with her, and she's fine. Yeah. And then we get the last scene, and Ken Foray lives. Yeah, there is an alternate version. Did you watch that? I did, and in the alternate version, 
version, you just see the little girl in a sheriff's car taunting Michelle and then driving off as Michelle goes insane in the desert. Right. But in the version that was finished, apparently, this is what I learned in the commentary, uh, Ken Foray's character Benny scored so positively with audiences that they wanted him to live, but wouldn't give them the budget to refilm the fight where you quite clearly see him die. And so they just brought him back at the end with a Band-Aid on his head. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's the movie. Yep, <laughs> on the ginger dead man. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping, though, that the little – they would explain a little bit more about the little girl at the end. I was hoping for that because, you know, the rest they of the – They drop family. her. She doesn't get killed. She doesn't get shot. Neither does Mama or Fixer. No, no Mama, Mama got, got shot. shot. Mama, Mama got, got shot. shot. Oh, that's right. Mama got shot. But Fixer... Got- Grandpa got shot. And why was Grandpa even in here? They really didn't need him. Uh, he was obviously really dead this time. He was He's a puppet. But Oh, you think? Yeah. I, I just assumed yeah. he was barely alive. When, no, he was a mannequin, clearly to me. Yeah, and when they shot him in the face, it was like dust. It was like a desecrated corpse. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right, so Mama died, but Fixer lived. He just got his ear shot off, and we never see him again. I assumed he died. I don't know. I got. I kind of was zoning out at the end, but I just thought his he got ear killed. fell off pretty pretty intact too. Do you like that? It got it got clean shot right off. Yeah. Was this supposed to be a comedy? Because I thought they were trying to move away from the satire that was the second one. But there were times in this where they were really playing it broad, as broad as the last one. Like I mentioned with the clown computer game thing. I'm yeah. convinced, Stuart, that you are right in your conversation about the first one. And that humor has always been an integral part of this series. I just didn't see it in the first one. And I, I still don't looking back. But it was always intended to be there. And especially after the almost police academy style comedies of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, I think that you can't escape it. That was intentional humor. Yeah. So I guess that leaves us with Brock Stewart. <laughs> Let's go through the formalities. Do you recommend Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Trey Brock? No, I do not. I think this movie is, as we discussed, a giant wasted opportunity, and I honestly did not understand why it was made, because it just feels so boring to watch. And I just wanted to not watch it anymore. So I'm not going to rehash everything. I'm going to say it flat out. Absolutely not. (laughs) No, I do not recommend this movie. Stuart. You know, it probably is meaningful that I never saw it in formative years. Like, I saw Texas 2 and 1, but I did not see this one until just now. And so there's no nostalgia to look back through. There's no way to look at this but except through jaded adult eyes. If you are impressionable and you like professional wrestling where everything is dirty and fake and lowbrow, you might get a couple kicks out of this. I think this movie is terrible. I see no entertainment value in watching unwashed torture, which this is. It doesn't even have a lot of graphic, but it is savage and stupid and not funny. And I cannot fathom who would enjoy this. Arnie, please tell me that you're going to agree with me and not recommend this movie. I was really on the fence on this one because here's the thing. I don't think this movie is that offensive the way you guys do. But one thing that one of you said earlier that I agree with is this movie is very bland and kind of boring. It's not an enjoyable film because Mm -hmm. I wasn't really into it. It has a few enjoyable things, mostly Ken Foray and Viggo Mortensen, but that's it. And other than that, there's not a lot there, but that doesn't mean it's bad. This is by no means the worst horror sequel we've watched. Could it just possibly mean that you have a very soft spot 
for anything that can do rote horror. Like, because they do everything competently, or competent in the sense that it exists as a horror movie. But you just said yourself, it's dull and boring and none of it is good with the exception of two mild performances. Like, how can that even be on the fence? If everything else is blah, that's not a recommend. Right, but it, a blah gives it a C, you know? And so the C is right on the fence. DF is not recommend. AB is recommend. C is right there on, well, which way do you go? And I'm going to go not recommend because i think recommend means it needs to be a b or an a right yeah the correct answer is i didn't enjoy it and it's not to be recommended is the time you enjoyed it more or less than the time you did not enjoy it you know i i can't quantify like that i didn't break out my stopwatch during this to Uh figure out which minute you said the vigo scenes there aren't that much vigo and he doesn't even get a good exit here here's what i'll say this movie i'm not going to judge anybody who enjoys this movie the way you guys are i i say whoa 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 whoa. Whoa, we're not judging people who we're steward judged people he said if you're lowbrow and like wrestling then you'll maybe enjoy this but you're dumb I didn't say that, so <laughs> I don't want to be grouped together with people who don't like wrestlers. I'll tell you that. No, seriously, though, I didn't say that. What I said was something different. Like, no, I don't want to. I don't recommend this movie to anybody, but I'm sure Stewart didn't mean it that way. I think what I said was impressionable and young. And if you like you lowbrow. Said lowbrow inter- and- I did. If you like wrestling, if you like lowbrow, dirty entertainment, yes. which is what this is, I don't think you have to be lowbrow to enjoy lowbrow. I enjoy lowbrow things, but I don't like wrestling. And that's what this movie felt like. It felt like a bunch of fake people screaming, having fake violence, and it just being stupid. And the same thing over and over again. I stand by what I said. Play the tape. It's for those people. If you can find enjoyment in unwashed filth that is monotonous and not that grisly, have at it. But I think you have to be really in need of a fix a horror fix in order to find this worthwhile. This is a lame, lame movie. I just think that if you're cleaning your house and you want something on, this isn't so offensive that you're going to wish it wasn't. It's also not so engaging that you want to turn out the lights and be locked alone in a room with it. I don't recommend it, but because it's just very bland and, yeah, kind of boring. It's got a few high moments. I chuckled like Brock the first time that he said the clown was food, especially since it looked kind of like a mime. But, no, just it's a, a weak not recommend. So, Brock Stewart, thank you for joining me for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Thank you, Arnie. But I implore the rest of you who are listening to this, if you enjoyed listening to this conversation, check out our conversation. We talk about Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And you can find all of those in our archive section. And you can also discuss this movie and every other movie we review at Now Playing at our forums. A link to that can be found on our homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also discuss these movies and others that we see often on during the week. We see a movie that's not related to a retrospective series, and we post a, a quick little mini review on our Facebook page, which is also connected to our Twitter page. So you can follow us at Facebook. We're now playing Pod on Twitter. A whole bunch of ways to get your now playing fix on a daily basis. And also, if you just aren't getting enough horror this Halloween season, we are also reviewing the Child's Play series as a special thank you to those of you who are donating and supporting the show through the donate button found on the homepage at nowplayingpodcast.com. If you donate, 
just ten dollars or more. You don't have to go the bare minimum. You know, if you want to be one who just does the bare minimum, that's fine. But if you want to be one who wears a few extra pieces of flair to work, you can donate more than ten dollars. And as a thank you, we don't have a tote bag because we're not PBS or NPR, but we have five child's play reviews for you. And we will email you the information on how you can get those if you donate ten dollars by Halloween, October 31st. And after that, we're never going to make these available again. And it's just our way of saying thank you to the people who are supporting our show because we have no big corporate sponsors. If you're a big corporate sponsor and would like to sponsor us, we'll give you Child's Play as well. (laughs) But you can donate to us at nowplayingpodcast.com. And if you're listening to this after Halloween, you can still donate to us. You just won't get Child's Play. And we, would, and we would appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, we thank everybody who has donated and everybody who continues to donate. And we're not selling Child's Play. It's, it's our way of saying thank you to those who are helping us. So when next we meet, it's the next generation, I believe. So we should be seeing Jordy and we should sing Picard and a whole bunch of our old friends. My phaser is set to kill. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right, then. And we'll talk to you both real soon. Woo! Yeah. He's out there with a chainsaw. No, no, he had a chainsaw. He was chasing me with a chainsaw. Thank you for listening to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre retrospective series from Now Playing. It's what the public wants. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we cut into a new installment in this classic franchise. People may not remember what we say here tonight, but they sure as shit gonna remember what we do. You can find other now-playing retrospective series such as Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Terminator, Star Trek, and others at our website. Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Go to nowplayingpodcast.com and click the archives link to find those series as well as individual movie reviews such as Avatar and Inception. We got the means, we got the machine. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films with other podcast listeners. First, I'm going to kill you. It ain't no fucking biggie. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post new episodes, and the Now Playing hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Welcome! my world. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. You can find a link to donate to the show using PayPal on our homepage, or you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more at the Now Playing Cafe Press Store. If you need anything, just tweet. <laughs> And remember, if you make a donation of $10 or more made by October 31st, 2010, you will receive as our thank you the exclusive Now Playing Child's Play retrospective series. Now Playing, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, is edited by Jay and Arnie. Boys, you never should have been doing this. Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, Canon Films, Columbia Pictures, or Platinum Dunes. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the intellectual property of its copyright and trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. I'll speak plain. Saves time. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2010. Brazos. Brazos.
Yippee-yay. Might I just say, Stuart, the thing I love about your plot summaries is the alliteration. Oh, yes. That's, uh, you know, I, I make it fun for myself. It, it's it's a little, little bit of poetry for you. Uh... I thought you were going to say the single best performance by a chainsaw. That's what I thought you were going with this, with this fancy chainsaw. No, this um, also has the best chainsaw. I've never had a chainsaw give me a partial Woody before, but this one was slick. Played by the, what, the big Icelander guy. I forget his name. Dolph Lundgren? No. Uh, York? Uh, Gunner? Yes. <laughs> and if you enjoyed this series, Brock, you want to do that? Yeah, I'll... <laughs> I was going to do it, but I kept waiting for him to jump in, and I, I was waiting going. for an opportunity. Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll manufacture one. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Anyone? What was the, what was the kazoo sound? Vroom, the chainsaw. Oh, oh we're going to be doing that in a minute. Vroom. I like that, Brock. I'm going to incorporate that. Oh, steal it. Go ahead. I got something else. No, 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 no. You're going to do it. I, I got a thing. I got a bit. We're going to do. Fair enough.